by the time we get through this 10 weeks, uh, you'll by repetition have learned maybe the order and significance of these words from God. So if I'll read the first verse together, you'll read the second verse and so on responsibly. And God spake all these words saying, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, that taketh his name in vain. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Verse 7, let's look at that again, all right? The third commandment. We've covered two. And today, the statement that God makes to us is, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. The first commandment instructed us that we are to worship God exclusively. Have no other gods before me. The second commandment that we talked to you about last week was that we are to worship God correctly. Worship Him exclusively. Worship Him correctly. Not to make any graven image or bow down before any man-made object, even to worship the true God in a correct manner. Let me repeat the fact that the first four commandments are vertical. They have to do with man's relationship to God. The last six are horizontal. They are relationships that have to do with each other. And that order is of tremendous significance because our relationship to God is paramount. If that isn't right, then relationships with men break down and we have constant difficulty. 
But if we can establish the foundation of relationship with God, then we have a basis for being rightly related to each other. So first of all, we were encouraged to worship God exclusively, worship Him correctly, and now this commandment to worship God with reverence or to hold Him in reverence. This commandment has more to do than just with profanity. It has to do with correcting all irreverence to the Lord. So we'll broaden it from that standpoint today. Recognizing too that these commandments have both a positive as well as a negative side. All life and all truth will carry those two dimensions. And I know that there is a move among many just to present positive truth and positive thoughts and, and positive approaches. But if we approach truth only this way, then we set aside what God has stated. And I would suggest to you that the one who created us in his own image knows best how to communicate to us. And it was God who spoke to Moses these negative instructions. And so I take on the highest authority this morning uh, the statement that can be made we need to start with the negative and then wind up with the positive. And you need both sides of truth. You say, but pastor, people don't need to come to church to be made to feel guilty. Well, I tell you what, if you're living in disobedience to God, that's the best way to feel because that will bring you to the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, then will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It'll do you no good to have somebody pat you on the head and kind of stroke you just right and send you on your way as though everything's all right. What you need to do is be confronted with the truth and the truth will then make you free. And God doesn't want you to live in bondage and servitude, but he wants you to live in health and he wants you to live in peace. I would suggest to you that that uh, you would never consider going to the doctor with that approach. The Bible says, and even Jesus said, they that are whole do not need a physician, but they that are sick. And even when you're going for your annual checkup, what's he looking for? He's looking for a problem, isn't he? He's going over all the tests are designed to see if there's a problem. Very negative, isn't he? Doctor's a very negative man because all he's interested in is where do you have a problem? Do you have one? And how can it be diagnosed and treated? I don't know how many of you share my aversion to going to the dentist. Forgive me, Brother Jim. I, I uh, have to say this. Very negative people they are. They could care less about the fact that you have 30 good sound teeth in your mouth but they get that little pick out and they delight in going over. Each one of them, what are they looking for? They're looking for one cavity, aren't they? They know that you cannot afford to let that thing continue because it will eventually destroy the gift of teeth. And so he is a blessing to you. You go to him to see if you've got a problem and if you do, he's dedicated to doing something about it. Thank God. When you come to church, you don't want somebody just to tell you what a good person you are and how well you're doing and kind of stroke you just right and all uh, affirming you and, and just patting you on the head and sending you on your way as though everything's all right. Friend, if you've got sin in your life, this is the place you need to come. 
And you need to be confronted with that sin, confronted with that problem, and have the cavity taken care of and go on your way made whole by the power of God. And so this might hurt a bit this morning, but just hold still because sometimes you have to hurt to heal. Now I know there's some nurses that are sitting in this room and they do not apologize for what they do. They have to insert a needle or an IV or whatever it is I've heard them say, now this is going to hurt a bit, but eventually it's going to do you good. So these commandments sometimes hurt a bit, but just hold still. God has something good that he can produce by the truth of his word. Hallelujah. He said, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for he will not hold us guiltless who take the name of the Lord in vain. It's an indication to us of what's on the inside. We live in a very profane society. It is a cursing society. Men curse, women curse, kids curse today. It's on the job, it's on television, it's in the, it's in the printed media. Wherever you look, there's profanity. And I remember how shocked we were when the first uh, four-letter words came across the tube. It offended us. But somehow now it has, has been so accepted that it, you know, it's kind of a, a matter of course today. No one is really too concerned or upset about it. But let me suggest to you, once we begin to accept something, it isn't too long until we begin to conform to it. And if your children are listening to that kind of language over television and they're getting no negative comment from you and there's total acceptance as far as you're concerned, then they are absorbing it. Don't you be too surprised when out of their mouth comes the same things that have been going into their ears. So I just trust that God by the Holy Spirit this morning will help to cut away some of the calluses from our ears and from our spirit because it has become so commonly accepted, it doesn't offend us anymore. I trust that the Holy Spirit will do a number on us today and that he will cut away and make us sensitive again to the proper kind of language because it does reveal something about us. Someone says that speech is an indication of character. I believe that's true. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Socrates said, when he met a man for the first time, speak to me so that I might see you. And so there is a revelation of the kind of character and person and personality we are by the words that we speak. Remember when Peter was standing around the fire warming his hands when Jesus was on trial? They said, you're a Galilean. And he tried to to camouflage his discipleship. He cursed and swore and blasphemed and said, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't want to have anything to do with that man. But this little girl said, thy speech betrayeth thee. And so they knew who he was by his language. And I trust that as believers, our speech will not betray our witness to God. There's an old country saying, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. And so if it's in the inside, don't be too surprised when it comes out and those statements are made. First of all, taking his name in vanity and perhaps the most frequent means of doing that is in profanity. And it is really an unrewarding sin. 
some of the other commandments that you would commit, at least you get something back. If you steal something, at least you get what you stole. If you commit adultery, supposedly for a short time, there's some satisfaction. With profanity, you get nothing back. It's just an empty, worthless, foolish sin. You get nothing for it. It's just simply transgression that God said, I will not hold you guiltless who take the name of the Lord in vain. It is a contempt for God. You say, oh, I don't mean anything by it, Pastor. You know, it's just kind of a filthy habit I've gotten into, and I really don't mean anything by it. I know I take his name in vain, but it's, it's just kind of a, a, a form of, of speech, and I've just kind of picked up this, this filthy habit. No, that's the problem, you see. If you don't mean anything by it, that's what this commandment talks about, taking his name without meaning anything by it. Taking his name empty. Taking his name in vain. And so it's more than just a filthy habit. It merits its own place among the ten laws of God. Just as serious as stealing, just as serious as adultery, just as serious as killing, God gives it equal time, has its own place among the Ten Commandments of God. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It is, it reveals a low value and esteem for God. You can take his name and mean nothing, nothing by it. And that's what taking it in vain means. Take his name with emptiness, without any meaning, without any thought, without any purpose, in profanity. Someone said, it is the attempt of a weak mind to make a forceful point and to use God's name to strengthen some argument that we have. It simply means rebellion, rebellion. Because we've read this, it's a clear statement from God. It doesn't take any interpretation. It's just black ink on white paper. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And if we don't have any regard for what God has said, and we just in total disregard and disobedience, then it's rebellion. To know what God has said and don't care about it and continue on is simply rebellion. And so that is a part of it as well. More than just a habit, profanity takes God's name in emptiness. It takes it without thought and in vain. Now, before you feel too smug about the fact, well, I don't break this commandment, how about the substitutes that we have? Huh? Now, we wouldn't, we wouldn't dare use the real thing, so we substitute a colloquialism for it. We have neat little euphemisms in all that uh, we use. We wouldn't say hell, so we, we say heck. We wouldn't say damn, so we say darn. God still knows what we mean. We've kind of got our own little Pentecostal version and substitutes. And I would suggest to you that we need to clean that up. The Bible says let your, your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt. And we need to, out of a pure heart, speak pure words. And without the substitutes. And if you're not convinced, you just take your dictionary and take those words that you're familiar with using and 
Hear what Webster defines them to be, and he says they are minced oaths. And he says, uh, he, he gives the equivalent in his definition. So if you're interested, pick up Webster's Dictionary, and he will define those words for you. I think as a Christian, we have a better standard than that. We have a praise for the Lord on our lips. We want to honor him with our speech, not just be satisfied with some uh, substitute. Hallelujah. Isn't it great to be able to tell someone to go to heaven? <laughs> Amen. Say, God bless you. Praise the Lord. What a positive prayer that is. You see, God never damned anybody, and he never will. Man does that all by himself, by the choice of the lifestyle that he makes. God never has and never will. And that's a profane prayer. And those who use that language are praying, but it's a satanic prayer. And it is a blasphemous prayer. We are not to take the Lord's name in frivolity. That means lightly. Making light of sacred things. Music can do that. God is more than just the man upstairs. He's more than just the guy in the sky. He's more than just uh, some easygoing relationship. We need to hold his name in reverence. Reverence the Lord with our speech and frivolity. If you want to write down a reference, Ephesians 5, 4, it talks about foolish jesting and so forth. God is not against the sense of humor. I believe he built that into us and we are made in his image. But there's a difference between just our having fun with each other and taking that which is sacred and making it foolish. In the name of God and the sacred things of the Lord being transmitted into a, into a context of being a joke, then I think we've taken the name of the Lord our God in vain. He will not hold us guiltless who take his name in vain. Then thirdly, in hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, Isaiah 48, 1 says, Hear ye this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who come forth out of the waters of Jordan, who swear by the name of the Lord, and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth and in righteousness. They make mention of the name of the Lord God of Israel, but not in righteousness and not in truth. Jesus said, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and what? Do not the things that I say. We can take the name of the Lord in hypocrisy. And I would submit to you this morning, church, that that profanity that takes place in church is far more an abomination to God than what takes place on the street. Because if we claim the Lordship of Jesus, because if we claim the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives in church and then walk out of here and live as though we are living for ourselves, it does far more damage to the name and the cause of Christ than for those who do not claim to know him who profane his name. We dare not take his name in hypocrisy, for he will not hold us guiltless who take his name in vain. 
The Bible says that you serve me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. That's profanity. We take his name in hypocrisy. We can stand in church and profane the name of the Lord. Amen. We can do it. You see, when we come through the door, we are to worship him in spirit and in truth. We can be singing words and going through motions in our mind miles away, somewhere else, occupied, wool gathering, and we're taking his name in vain repetitions. And Jesus said, when you pray, don't use vain repetitions. Come and say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we need to come in spirit and in truth and not call him Lord, Lord, and then forget to do the things that he has said for us to do. We can be profane in our prayers, in our praise, and in our profession. God help us to take his name mean something by it. When I say, I love you, Lord, that should come from my heart, not just from my lips, not just through the lyrics we're used to using and familiar with, but all oh, from our heart to his heart, we say, I love you, God. And I want you to know that. And I want to serve you with all that is within me. Praise God. Now there's some positive, and let's end up on a positive note here. Take the name of the Lord in victory. What a great investment God has made in the church. In salvation, the angel said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Hallelujah. For God hath highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue confess. He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Romans 10, 14 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. No wonder we're encouraged not to take his name in emptiness or in vanity because there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. That name alone has power of redemption and has power to save us. Hallelujah. And so we take it in victory for salvation because that is the only name that is redemptive and the only name that brings salvation to our hearts. Oh, praise the Lord. John Newton lived in 1725. His mother died when he was at the age of seven. He became a very hostile and angry and rebellious young man. He joined the British Navy, couldn't get along there very well, and deserted the Navy and made his way to Africa. Felt there he could just get his fill of sin. While he was there, he got involved with the Portuguese slave traders and, and was an active part of transporting slaves back and forth from Africa to England. Well, he fell into the hands of the blacks and they held him captive there made him live like an animal and would throw him food on the ground and he had to eat it just with his mouth he couldn't touch it with his hands if he did they flogged him lived like an animal became diseased and emaciated finally he was able to escape 
and swam out into the ocean just to see some of the grace of God. A ship just happened to be coming by and, and pulled him on board. They found that he was an excellent seaman, so they made him the first mate. And one day when the captain wasn't around, John Newton and all the rest of the crew got drunk. And when he was discovered by the captain, says he knocked him out, hit him in the face and knocked him out, knocked him overboard. And he was so drunk and unconscious, he would have drowned. One of the seamen took a boat hook and threw it into the water, and it went through his thigh, and they pulled him on board that way. He says that until the day died, he could take his fist and put it on the inside of that scar where they had pulled him back on board the ship. And one day, the ship was about to sink as they were on their way towards Scotland. A storm came up. He knew the ship was about to sink, as a young boy, before his mother died, she had prayed for him and prayed with him. And she taught him a few verses. And one of the verses she taught him was from Romans 10, 14. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And John Newton said, holding on for dear life to the rail of that ship, he called out, Dear Jesus, save me, save my soul. Forgive me of my sins. He called upon the name of the Lord in that instant. He said, Jesus came into my life, forgave me of my sins. And he wrote the song that we sing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. That name has power to transform a man's life from the wretchedness of sin into the righteousness of Jesus Christ. No wonder, he says, don't take that name in vain because that name has power to turn us from darkness to light, from death unto life. That name has power. Oh, hallelujah. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it irreverently. Don't take it with frivolity or hypocrisy, but take it with victory because there is power in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Dr. Lubber, who was the president of a university, was asked to speak in a neighboring town. And he took his 12-year-old son with him. After the engagement, he was driving back home. Wintry roads became icy. His car went into a skid, turned upside down, threw him out. He was unconscious for quite some time. When he came to, he found himself in the arms of his 12-year-old son. He had gotten around behind him and with his arms under his armpits and was trying to lift him up to his chest and hold him tightly to keep him warm during this wintertime. He said he felt the hot tears of his son drip on his cheek and he heard him pray, Dear Jesus, don't let my daddy die. He's a good man. He's tried so hard to serve you. Dear Jesus, don't let my daddy die. And he said, it was then that I saw him. I saw the manifest presence of Jesus standing right beside us. He said, all of his power and peace. And he said, he touched me. And he let me know it was going to be all right. And he said, I want you to know, 
I learned that day the power of taking his name in reverence. When I heard my son just simply breathe that name, Dear Jesus, don't let my daddy die. He said he left the throne of God and came down to the highway between Holland, Michigan and touched my life. Hallelujah. Oh, when temptations round you gather, breathe that holy name in prayer. Precious name, oh, how sweet hope of earth and joy of heaven. What a precious name we have in the name of Jesus. There's no other name like his name. There's something about that name. It's not a name to be used in profanity, in frivolity or hypocrisy. There's power in the name of Jesus to save us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. How many times you and I have been in positions where we didn't know what to pray for, what to ask for, and all we could do was simply breathe the name of Jesus. He's there. Thursday night, I sat in the service and listened to a testimony of one of our ladies driving on a slick highway, car going into a skid. There's an embankment. There's no guardrails, and she's headed right for it. She cried out, Dear Jesus! And instantly that car moved over to the other side of the road, hit an embankment, and she was able to get out and go home. Husband came out and saw a fender mashed in against, tight against the wheel. He said, I don't know how Joni got home. She said, I do. I call on the name of Jesus. I tell you, church, it works. Now, you can use it in profanity if you want to, or you can use it in prayer if you want to. But this commandment says, He will not hold us guiltless who take the name of the Lord in vain. Take it with emptiness. There's salvation in that name. You may be here this morning and feeling an inner guilt about your profanity. Let me lead you through the open door into the healing presence of Jesus Christ. He didn't push on that sore spot this morning just to make you feel pain. He pushed on that spot to diagnose some medicine and bring some healing and make you healthier going out the door than you were when you came in. So let's ask him to do that for us. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray today for everyone in this room as we focus again upon an eternal law, not just centuries before Jesus, but your word is forever settled in heaven. This is an eternal law that does not change. And I pray as it's applied to us today that we would be confronted with our need wherever we have felt the pressure of the great physician upon an area of need today. I pray that we will take the remedy that he prescribes to us. He made whole to serve in health Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior.